0: Well hello Fear Junkies, so glad you're back with us. It's time for the next episode of Beatrix Green on Fear, Realm's horror channel. In our last outing together, we learned that ghosts are in fact real, and that there may be something to this seance business after all. I think ghosts are real. I'll tell you about my ghost story right after this word from our sponsor. So I was helping my college roommate move out to Arizona after graduation, and we were in a U-Haul. Um, it was about two o'clock in the morning, and we needed to pee, and we saw a sign for a gas station at the next exit. Turns out it was an abandoned gas station. And uh, as I got out, I, I could feel that the that the air was, was thicker, it seemed. And uh, I stayed pretty close to the gas station, but Jordan went around back, and then i heard him go "Ah," and came running out and and jumped into the driver's seat and he was like let's get out of here i was like what's what's going on dude and uh long story short he told me that his urine actually crawled back inside him like it went back inside him and he heard this voice that said you will not do that here and um, I don't know, it was late, believe what you want to believe, but, uh, but I, I felt that, that presence as well. And, and we, we found out the next day, we did some research, and it turns out that that was the site for a Native American burial site. So I am a believer, um, and I've talked to so many other people with their own ghost stories, and, uh, and I'd love to hear yours as well. but. Let's get back to our story, shall we? I can't wait to find out what happens next in our Victorian manor. Let's get right into it. I'm your host, Pun van Du, and this is Beatrix Green, episode four.
4: They were in absolute darkness. The door had slammed, the deadbolt had fallen, and every oil lamp in the hall had snuffed out at once. Beatrix couldn't see a thing, just blackness, deeper and heavier than it should have been. It squeezed her ribcage so that she could barely draw a breath. What's going on? Amanda's voice pierced the inky gloom, echoing her thoughts. Beatrix forced a breath in, her heart beating faster and faster with every passing second, Slowly, she felt her way forward and found the door. With shaking fingers, she searched for the heavy iron bolt and gave it several tugs. The knob holding it in position was immovable, as if welded into place. It's locked. Her words dropped in the room like a weight. The windows as well, Harry's voice travelled from across the hall. Something unseen brushed past her and she whirled. Letting out a gasp, her arms met nothing but air. Stay calm. But how could she when everything she thought she knew about the world had been upended? A ghost had spoken through her. And now it had trapped them in the dark. For the first time in her life, Beatrix was at a loss. Both at what was happening and what they should, or even could, do. She wasn't alone. Harry's and Amanda's rapid footsteps and panicked whispers grew in alarm as they tried to open multiple doors and windows. It is all locked down, Harry announced in a hushed tone. We can't get out. They were all whispering now, terrified they might rouse the anger of whomever or whatever had trapped them. Beatrix felt it more than the others. The sense of the other pressing in from all sides, lying in wait. For what? To do what? Ice coursed through her veins. She had been warned to run. Now that was impossible. Stanhope's laugh cut through her worrying thoughts. My dear friends, it appears the ghost of James's dear mammal wants us to stay, Stanhope said. She is not done with us yet. Everyone stilled. The moon passed beyond a cloud through one of the windows, and Beatrix spotted James's faint outline. His posture was rigid, carved from stone. Miss Green. Amanda's clear, surprisingly calm voice rang out in the darkness. This is your area of expertise. What should we do to make contact and convince her to unlock the door and free us? Beatrix swallowed and took a steadying breath. This was the moment she had always dreaded. She was going to have to admit that she was an imposter, that she had lied about her abilities as a medium. She had built her career on nothing but intuition and gilded murmurs of comfort for the bereaved. And now they were trapped by a ghost, no less, The irony did not escape her. I haven't the faintest idea what to do, she finally said. What, why do you say that, Amanda asked. Despite my profession, I have never believed that ghosts exist, Beatrix said, surprised to hear that her voice sounded steady even as her heart pounded and warmth flooded her cheeks. This is my first experience with something I cannot explain. The knife, the possession. None of that was my doing. And despite my skepticism, I must admit that what is happening is real, that this ghost is real. She clasped her clammy hands in front of her, trying to steady herself. Beatrix strained her ears for some kind of response from James, but there was nothing. A wall of stunned silence. Do you mean to tell us that you are a charlatan, Miss Green? Stanhope said with arch amusement. And yet you manage to call a ghost down upon us? Oh, this is too rich. Beatrix ignored Stanhope. It was only James's reaction that mattered now. And although she could not fully see him, she sensed his fury. It radiated off him like heat shimmers in the dark. So you are a fake, he said finally.
2: He could barely hear through the pounding in his ears. Anger, yes, the outrage felt good. It distracted him from the dread that was threatening to smother him. His mother's ghost was here, and she'd reached out. Not with the answers he'd hoped to get, but with the very knife she'd used to kill Thomas. What evil had he wrought by calling down her spirit? His stomach clenched at the realization that he'd not only endangered himself, but four others who were now trapped along with him. What a fool he'd been. Not only by attempting to get answers from the other side, but entrusting beer tricks. She'd lied. And just when he, when they, needed her abilities the most, she admitted to being a fraud. James realized it balled his hands into fists so tightly they'd begun to cramp. Miss Green, he finally got out through a clenched jaw. You led us to believe that you had the ability to guide us through the spirit world. We all saw and heard my mother... something take you over. But now you tell us you are unable to help us. What precisely are we to make of all this? The house itself seemed to amplify the words he threw at Beatrix. The darkness in the room grew even heavier, as if it were waiting for her response. James suppressed a shiver. I apologize for misleading you. Beatrix's voice was stiff. However, I repeat, I have no answers. Harry murmured something to Beatrix as if reassuring her. James flared with irritation at their easy intimacy. Well, what do we do now? Amanda asked. A soft footfall was echoed as she paced restlessly. We have awoken something that does not want us to leave. But then why warn us to run? What could it possibly want? Perhaps Perhaps, Stanhope said slowly, drawing out the word in a way that made everyone still. Perhaps what? Amanda asked, her fingernails tapping the wall in the blackness as she wound her way closer to Beatrix and Harry. Perhaps, Stanhope repeated, we should ask...
4: A spider-like tingling skittered up and down Beatrix's spine at Stanhope's suggestion. Miss Green, even if something like this has never happened to you before, James's mother chose to speak through you. Amanda pointed out in her calm and practical tone. It seems clear she has not finished communicating. We must try to contact her again. That was the last thing Beatrix wanted to do. The séance had been the most unsettling experience of her life. The lack of control, the possession, the knife. What might happen the next time she tried? Could an evil spirit force her to do something unthinkable? Would she have the strength to resist it? Amanda sensed her trepidation. In a soothing voice, she added, Don't we owe it to her and to James to find out what she was trying to tell us? We are stuck, B has added gently. And although I can't believe I'm saying this, I agree with Lord Stanhope. If Lord Ashbury's mother has more to say, the least we can do is listen. Beatrix had a sudden memory of briny winds and a roiling sea. When she discovered Roger Latham's soaked handkerchief, she remembered the waterlogged whisper not of do not go, do not go, do not go, Do not go, do not, not, not go. And for the first time she admitted to herself what it had been all along a warning. From the ghost of Roger Latham. James's mother had spoken through her. Roger Latham had also communicated with her. There were many times in her parlour when she had intuited something that, if she'd been honest, she could not have known without help from the spirit world. She'd always brushed those moments aside by assigning them to her unique ability to read people empathically. But what if it was more than that? What if she truly had been on some level doing what she pretended to do all along, communing with ghosts. The realization left her breathless. At the same time, curiosity bloomed in her chest. If she really could speak with the dead, might she be able to control the process rather than be overrun by it? The only way to know was to try again and insist that whatever power had locked them inside set them free. With steel in her voice, she said, as you say, Mrs. Reynolds. We must try again. At her words, the hall lamps sputtered to life, one by one, as if orchestrated by an invisible line of lamplighters. The drawing room candles also flared to life, their warm glow spilling into the hall. Beatrix exchanged shocked glances with Harry and Amanda, then checked the doors, still bolted. It seemed the ghost would release them only when her message was complete. Amanda breathed out. Well, if that isn't something... Beatrix glanced at James. His face was white, his lips pursed into a thin line, but something new shone out of his eyes as he stared at the oil lamps. Hope, perhaps? Maybe she really could give him the answers he sought... Capital, Stanhope boomed, grinning. Perhaps we can coax Lady Ashbury to return by searching for something in the house that belonged to her. An object familiar to the deceased can serve as a beacon, a means for a spirit to maintain contact with us. Hold on, James said. At Oxford, you disdained spiritualists. You used to call them spectre stiffs. Yet you suddenly sound like an expert. Stanhope shrugged. In my final year, I joined the Oxford Spiritualist Society, purely as a lark, of course, but I learned a great deal. Beatrix narrowed her eyes at Stanhope. His interest in the occult was unsettling. Worse, he seemed to delight in dredging up James's tragic past, as if it were not but a twopenny play in Hyde Park. We should split up, cover ground more quickly, Stanhope suggested. Not for the first time that evening, Harry's eyes went to Amanda. "'Care to search the West Wing with me?' he asked her. Amanda hefted the strap of her camera case over her shoulder. "'That is an excellent suggestion.' The American tucked her small hand into Harry's elbow, and his face lit up as he escorted her out. Beatrix felt a surge of annoyance. She would have preferred to stay with Haz, to tell him about her new understanding of her abilities.' and explore with him what it might mean. I suppose that leaves us to search the East Wing, James said. I'll leave that to you and Miss Green, old friend, Stanhope replied, carelessly grabbing one of the re-lit candelabra off a table. I'll search each landing. We'll move faster that way. He strolled out of the entry hall, leaving Beatrix and James to themselves.
2: A small spark of hope reignited in his chest, burning away some of his anger and despair. If his mother's spirit was trying to reach him, perhaps he could finally discover why she killed little Thomas. Perhaps he could finally release the hold she had on him, so that he could start fresh in America, truly and finally free of his past. He felt Beatrix's eyes on him as he stared after the departing Stanhope. In the charged silence, the tension stretched between them. His heart began to race at the realization they were completely alone in a way they would never been before. She lied to me, he reminded himself. She is not to be trusted. This program
0: is sponsored by Factor. Hey everybody, if you're trying to eat healthier and want to make your life easier, Factor's got it all figured out. Delicious, ready-to-eat meals that are delivered to you fresh, never frozen. They're chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. That's right, two minutes. No meal prep. Nada. Zip. There's 35 different options that change every single week. You can choose the calorie-smart option if you're trying to lose weight, like I am. There's a protein-plus option if you work out on a regular basis, like I'm trying to do. There's even keto if you want a low-carb option. There are also 60 add-ons if you want to make your meal larger or you can choose a snack. It's completely flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. You can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Head to Factormeals.com FR50 and use code FR50 to get 50% off. That's code FR50 at Factormeals.com FR50.
1: grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash r-e-a-l-m now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm.
2: And yet his mother had chosen to speak through her. Perhaps there was more to Beatrix Green than she herself knew. James took a breath and looked at her. She had turned away from him and was gazing a bit uncertainly into the long dark corridor. Something about the nape of her graceful neck as she leaned out from the doorway pierced his chest. She looked achingly vulnerable, limbed in candlelight against the heavy darkness. But her shoulders were still straight, her chin still high. Despite her confession, she was holding herself with that same quiet certainty that he found so… so Beatrix. Well, shall we split up? Beatrix asked, though I must admit I don't fancy navigating these labyrinthine halls alone. His sense of gallantry was slightly injured that she thought he might leave her to wander alone. But then again, he had been angry over her lies and had let her know it. Remembering that he had not been fully honest himself, James yearned to start fresh with Beatrix. Come, it would be best if we explored together, he said as he grabbed the last candelabra and escorted her out the door. Their footsteps echoed loudly in the stone hallway. Beatrix bumped into his shoulder to avoid a gilded console that appeared out of the gloom as they turned a corner. She must have been scared, for she did not immediately return to her normal distance, but stayed close. He fought the urge to wrap a protective arm around her and was scandalized at himself for even thinking such a thing. Still, he could not help but notice that she smelled of fresh lavender. It was light, like a scent carried on a warm spring breeze. A few tendrils of Beatrix's shining dark blonde hair had begun to fall from her coiffure, and he resisted the urge to reach over and tuck it behind her ear, and let his fingertips trace down her neck. James shook his head slightly to stop the trail of his thoughts. They moved deeper into the house, and James was surprised to find he remembered each twist and turn well from a childhood spent running the halls with Tommy. Tommy. But no, he would not think of him. He pushed back the familiar ache of loss and regret. Focus on finding something of mother's. And then find a way to get everyone out of this hellhole. He forced his mind blank.
4: As they journeyed deeper into the house, the shadows grew longer. Dwarfing what little candlelight they had. Despite herself, Beatrix huddled closer to James. James seemed to lean into her as well. His coat brushed her forearm as they turned the corner. Suddenly, his footsteps slowed and stopped. An odd expression bloomed on his face. A glassy, faraway look. Without saying a word, James abruptly turned on his heels and walked purposely in the opposite direction. Wait! She called, scrambling to catch up. "'Where are you going?' He did not answer or even acknowledge her. But instead of anger, Beatrix felt concern. Something was amiss. Everything about his sudden turnabout seemed odd. "'James?' she tried again, nearly running after him, her heels clicking in double time to his. After what seemed like an interminable age, she followed the Lord of the Manor through a long hall decorated with gleaming swords— and into another hallway. He stopped short when he reached a massive wooden door studded with weeping iron knobs. Beatrix scrambled to his side, breathing hard. The door's top and bottom planks were also banded in iron. It seemed out of place, like the ancient entrance to a medieval dungeon. James blinked at the door as if awakening from a dream. Beatrix put an arm on his and tried to catch her breath. What is this place, James? she asked. The rusted door hinges scraped loudly in the dark silence as the door creaked open. Yet James had not moved a muscle. One hand gripped the candelabra with white knuckles, and the other hand was clenched into a fist. The candles threw flickering shadows against the door as James took a deep breath and stepped inside.
2: His heart pounded as if he had been sprinting. How... how had he ended up here, of all places? He had intended to take Beatrix to his mother's favorite room in the East Wing. Not here, never here. James, where are we? He heard Beatrix ask. He had the impression she had asked this question numerous times. He shook his head. The last thing he remembered was walking towards his mother's sitting room. Now he found himself in the very place he'd always most hated and dreaded. He wanted to leave immediately, but something propelled him farther inside. He held up the candelabra and his father's massive oak desk emerged from the shadows, like a crouching beast preparing to pounce. This James finally managed is my father's study
4: James was distressingly pale who knew what painful memories were being dredged up in this place that smelled of old leather and and blood but no she must be imagining it yet when she stepped farther into the study she could not deny the sense of something not quite right It was as if invisible cinders of rage hung in the air, ready to reignite into violence at the smallest provocation. The darkness was different too, heavier. The candles seemed to struggle against it. Why are we looking for something of your mother's in your father's study? Beatrix asked carefully. A flush of color peeked out over the top of his high collar. He took a breath, raised his chin... "'cleared his throat and gathered his usual air of steady confidence. "'Before my father changed. "'My mother liked to read in here while he worked,' he said, "'tipping his head toward a corner by the fireplace. "'Beatrix moved closer. "'It was not a comfortable lady's settee as she'd imagined, "'but a massive throne-like chair decorated with deeply grooved arms, "'an ornately carved crown.' and velvet cushions of such a deep rust, they looked like the color of dried blood. It pulsed with an ugly, monstrous energy. Your mother sat here, she asked before she could stop herself. James reluctantly shifted his gaze from his father's desk and turned to her. Ah, No, that was a later addition, he said. It was my father's. He brought it in after he took an axe to my mother's favorite wicker rocking chair. I called it his devil's cathedral. Even as a child, he called it a devil's throne. Returning his attention back to the desk, she heard him murmur. Playing with my carved soldiers at my mother's feet while she read is my only fond memory of this room. Her heart softened toward him, but she didn't say a word, knowing he would bristle at her sympathy. He had described his father taking an axe to his mother's chair so matter-of-factly that Beatrix wondered if James had witnessed the moment himself. She imagined a slight, elegantly dressed woman sobbing as a man who looked like a thicker, older James, red-faced, sweating and cursing, swung an axe again and again at the wicker rubble on the sumptuously carpeted floor. The woman's incoherent pleas to stop, A child weeping. The man's coarse curses and grunts as he gave himself up to the violence. After a few moments of heavy silence, Beatrix asked, What did you mean before he changed? James looked at her, but his body was still turned toward the desk, as though he were fighting the urge to go to it. My parents met and married in Europe, he said. I was born there. My father always swore he would never return to the family manor, claiming it was cursed. But when our grandfather died, he took it over. For the inheritance, I presume. He made to face the desk, but Beatrix's intense gaze held him fast. She sensed the importance of this information. James, how old were you when you came to live in the manor? I was still in short pants and my brother was a baby. Thomas didn't remember what our father was like before moving here. How patient and kind he had been. But once we settled in this house, father... He trailed off. Well, he turned cruel. And not just to us, but to the servants... And anyone related to the land or his business holdings. By the time he died... He seemed to me like an ogre from a storybook twisted and angry this time he turned his whole body toward the desk making it clear he would say no more
2: james felt beatrix's eyes on him but he couldn't turn even though he knew he would feel steadier if he did His dreamlike disequilibrium dissipated under her cool gaze. But something pulled at him, leading him to the desk where his father spent so many hours he was sure, plotting ways to torture his mother and make more money off the suffering underclasses that worked for him. As he drew closer, a small drawer creaked open as if by an invisible hand. A glint of gold. In the center of the otherwise empty drawer was his father's signet ring. Impossible. Another memory. Of peering into a casket and seeing the ring on his father's dead grey hand. Of watching the casket lid close over his body. Of hearing the dirt thump onto the wood in the family graveyard. He was meant to inherit that ring, as all first sons did. His father had made him promise to wear it proudly, just as countless lords of the manor had done before. And in a rare moment of affection, he had even ruffled James's hair and told him that one day he would have a son who would proudly wear it too. But James had insisted his father be buried with it on his hand. His mother had always despised that ring, and it was one way to honor her memory. Let it rot on his hand. He had said on one of his rare trips home for the funeral. He had felt a curious relief when it disappeared with his father's body beneath the earth. Yet here it was, sitting in the drawer as if it had been waiting for the next Lord Ashbury, for him, to slip it on. What did you find? Their gazes locked as Beatrix stepped forward. Once again, her eyes pulled him back from losing himself to memories. Was his heart beating faster because of the ring, or because she was moving closer? Their light sent again. More wavy tendrils had escaped her pins, and her cheeks were flushed, almost as if she had been running. Against his will, his gaze moved to her mouth. It drifted to a spot on the graceful curve of her neck, revealed by a button on a prim neckline that had come undone. He swallowed hard and cleared his throat. It is my father's signet ring, he said as she brushed against him to look. May I see it? she asked, and he nodded. She picked it up gingerly, like it might bite or sting. It looks nothing like any signet ring I have ever seen, she said. That is part of its ugly charm, I believe, James said, staring at the burnished gold band. In the center of the oval stone was a carved scorpion, tail up, ready to strike. Onyx, ringed in white, surrounded the carving, giving the impression of an unblinking, piercing eye. Beatrix checked the band, her elbow brushing his own. What is this writing? Latin initials. Family law claimed that it originally belonged to a Roman general. "'who slaughtered an entire Celtic village on these very grounds one thousand years ago,' James said. "'It said he lost the ring during the slaughter and it sank with the blood and bones of the angry dead "'deep into the soil upon which our manor was built. "'It was discovered by one of our ancestors, and it's been passed down ever since.'" "'Oh, what a gruesome history.'" Beatrix murmured as she turned the ring over in her hands. He cleared his throat. Yes, well, there are some who delight in such macabre histories. One of the old caretakers once told Thomas and me that he regularly found human bones in the crumbling bricks of the original foundation. Poor Thomas had nightmares for weeks. A flash of memory. Thomas, curling up beside him in bed, plagued by nightmares of skeletal hands reaching for him from his bedroom walls. James had comforted him, telling him everything was fine, that he was safe, that he would protect him. How wrong he had been. Beatrix made a distressed noise and dropped the ring back in the drawer. She wiped her hand up on the side of her skirt as if to rid it of some foul substance. I always hated that story. James said. I always hated that ring, too. James grunted as he tried to shove the drawer closed, but it seemed to push back, as if a sticky substance had fallen into the grooves. The wood screeched in defiance. He shoved against it and it finally slammed shut. Why in all the circles of hell was he telling her about all this? He had never spoken of the details of his past, to anyone he didn't expect the sense of relief that came with finally acknowledging the strange years in this house. He had not been back since that terrible day his mother had tried to kill him, and succeeded in killing his little brother instead. We will find nothing of my mother's in here, he said. Let us leave this accursed place.
4: The darkness seemed to ripple when James slammed the ring drawer shut. She looked up at him, and his expression was grim. Come, we'll return to the East Wing, to my mother's favorite hall, he said, putting a hand to her back to guide her out. The contact was unexpected. His hand was warm, and she resisted the impulse to lean into it. Once in the corridor, they both took deep breaths, as if escaping a smoke-filled room. Their heels clicking upon the wood was the only sound as they moved quickly away from his father's study. Her breathing grew calmer once they'd ventured out of the armory and back into familiar territory. She recognized the path. This was the direction in which they had been headed before James had suddenly gone blank. They turned a corner and paused at a sudden change in the energy around them. The air felt lighter, clearer. A glow surrounded them and drew them forward. Beatrix released a breath as if a weight had suddenly been lifted off her shoulders. James made a stifled sound of surprise, so he felt it too. As they stepped into a sunlit room, Beatrix thought she heard a little boy's floating laughter. There was joy here, and she found herself smiling in wonder. Was this a dream? my mother's sitting room, James murmured, just as I remember it. But I don't understand. How is this happening? The light was strange, soft and lemony. Sunlight, morning light to be exact. A welcoming warmth so different from the drafty corridors enveloped them like a soft blanket. A cheery fire crackled in one corner Vases of pink miniature roses and colourful zinnias, looking freshly picked, overflowed on tables and shelves. Beatrix blinked and reminded herself to be cautious. These illusions could be a cover for something darker. She searched for signs of danger but detected nothing, only warmth and sweet affection. Perhaps we are witnessing a recreation of your mother's fondest memories. Beatrix said almost reverently. Old feelings of warmth and contentment are powerful. Powerful enough, perhaps, to have lingered? Beatrix had read about these kinds of phantasmal illusions in her research. Remnants of strong emotions, powerful or negative, could recreate lifelike images of the source of the sensation. But she never quite believed it possible. Yet here they were drinking in the light and beauty of a garden room in springtime, even though it was the dead of night. This is where Thomas and I spent every morning with our mother before the tutor's lessons began, James said dreamily, stepping into the sunlight. It was the only place where we could breathe or laugh in this house. She could imagine him then, as a little boy, grinning as he gave his brother a ride on his back. She could see their mother's indulgent smiles as she sipped her tea and watched them, far from the darkness of her husband's study. Beatrix stepped beside James into a sunbeam that warmed her skin. It feels and smells like springtime, she sighed. She turned towards James and realized he'd been watching her with a kind of hunger that surprised her. His eyes lingered on her lips, then moved to her throat and back up again. A flush of desire warmed her cheeks. She took a step closer to him. Then another. There was something between them. A pull. An energy. She suddenly wanted very much to taste him and he... He looked as if he wanted to devour her whole. She moved closer and tilted her head up to his. Slowly, So slowly, she took his head in her hands and angled it down so she could kiss that infuriating but irresistible mouth. He froze at the contact, but then made an incoherent sound against her mouth as he pulled her hard against him. Beatrix wrapped her arms around his neck. She opened her mouth to his, and he groaned as he deepened the kiss, his thumbs rubbing the sides of her throat with an unexpected delicacy that sent shivers down her center. He pressed his mouth against her throat. Beatrix moaned and guided his mouth back to hers. His fingers threaded through her hair. The feel of James against her body. The warmth of his breath on her neck. The suppleness of his mouth on hers. Beatrix melted into him, aware of only one thought. More. When he nuzzled her neck, she lightly drew her fingers along his jaw until she reached his ear. There. That was the spot she ached to press her lips against. Just as her mouth reached it, James stilled, as if on high alert. Sensing something amiss, Beatrix pulled slightly away and heard a commotion. Excited shouts echoed through the halls, followed by the sound of running feet. It was Stanhope yelling, Come, come, everyone! I have found something! Everyone must see! James blinked as though waking from a dream. He put his hands on her hips and firmly pushed her away from him. This was most improper. A mistake, he muttered. I apologize. He turned from her, straightening his jacket, smoothing down his hair, putting the pieces of Lord Ashbury back in place. Beatrix stared after him, She could still feel every spot where he had kissed her. As if reflecting her confusion, the room dimmed, the air cooled, and the roses and zinnias grayed and drooped over their vases. What had just happened? Had she been too forward? Her cheeks warmed at the prospect, and she turned away from the humiliation of the moment. Stanhope's voice echoed excitedly again in the hall, and Beatrix took the time to raise her chin and gather her tattered dignity before saying anything. But James beat her to it. We must see what Stanhope is going on about, he announced, averting his gaze from hers. Then James rushed from the room.
0: The stakes really are high at Asbury Manor, aren't they? Ghosts, lies, the threat of imminent death, and dismemberment, and now a dash of romance. Eh, There's a little something for everyone here. We aren't even halfway through this adventure, so make sure to join me again next time to learn what Stanhope has uncovered in the house. I'll be waiting.
1: You're listening to Fear. Fear. Beatrix Green, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away.
3: In a world saturated with glossy facades comes a podcast that's breaking barriers. This is Reppin. It's where we do a deep dive into subjects like belonging to mental health to courage, and more. On Reppin, you'll meet the faces you think you know and discover their untold stories. It's real, it's intimate, and it gives you insight into the real person behind the images. In a world of pretense, Reppin strips it all down. No filters, no facades. Learn and be empowered and find inspiration through thought-provoking stories that resonate with your journey. Every episode is an exploration into the truths and values that make us who we are. Representation, it's not just about race or gender. It's about you. Reppin ensures that every voice is heard. Every story is valued. So be seen, be heard, and be represented. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Beatrix Green is written by Rachel Hawkins, Ash Parsons, and Vicki Elvira Schechter. Produced by Haley Wagreich. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by Sharomi Arcerio and Alistair Austin. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith. Additional editing by Kaylin West. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Fear is produced by Mary Asadolahi. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Ladshaw. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Pun Bandu. Audio editing by Corey Barton and Felicia Dominguez. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Fear by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or at realm.fm.